Okay, so this morning I'm going to continue our exploration of sati and samadhi, this time focusing a bit more on the quality of sati, or mindfulness itself. And I want to do this partly because, as I mentioned the other night, mindfulness has become very mainstream. So we can perhaps take for granted that we think we know what it is, when in fact there are many subtleties and nuances to it to this Pali word sati that aren't always apparent from the English translation of mindfulness. And because of those subtleties and nuances, even just within the Satipatthana Sutta, there are various approaches to practicing mindfulness. So although in English the word mindfulness is a noun, it can sound like a static thing or a state that we have to get or to have. In actual practice, as I've been trying to emphasize, mindfulness needs to be dynamic and responsive and flexible. It's more of a relationship to experience than a fixed and unchanging mental quality. So what I'd like to do this morning is bring mindfulness to mindfulness itself and bring out some of the different aspects of it that are perhaps not so obvious So again, as I said the other night, sati literally means to remember. But it's to remember to be aware of what is happening now in the present moment. So we're gathering the attention on our immediate experience. So we can think of sati as to remember or recollect, recollect our awareness back from its more scattered and fragmented state to being whole wholly connected to just this experience now. So this is the full part of mindfulness. And the other night I mentioned how in relation to mindfulness of breathing, the English monk Ajahn Suchito talks about letting the breath fill the mind so there's no room for anything else. Which actually brings us closer to the samadhi aspect of experience where the mind is fully absorbed in whatever it's paying attention to. So again, we see how closely sati and samadhi are interrelated. In the Western insight tradition, Sharon Salzberg and Joseph Goldstein define mindfulness as being aware of what is going on as it actually arises, not being lost in our conclusions or judgments about it, our fantasies of what it means, our hopes, our fears, our aversion. Rather, mindfulness helps us see nakedly and directly. This is what is happening right now. So notice how in that definition they refer to seeing nakedly and directly. It has a flavor of intimacy. And I want to highlight this because Sometimes people misunderstand mindfulness as being about somehow separating from experience, becoming distant or disconnected from it, observing it remotely. And it's true that sometimes the language that's used in mindful instructions can inadvertently reinforce that sense of separation. So we're often instructed to focus on the breath or watch sensations or observe emotions, or look at our thoughts. And this language can create a sense of someone 
witnessing, who is separate from experience, watching it remotely from a distance. And this is unfortunate because one of the key understandings in insight practice is that there is no separate, permanent entity or identity at the center of experience to whom it's all happening. So we want to take care that our mindfulness practice is not subtly creating a sense of the one in here who is being mindful and observing experience out there in the world. Mindfulness, true mindfulness, has a quality of getting closer to experience, becoming more intimate with it. And at times, the sense of separation can dissolve completely. So when we are fully present with our experience, we can recognize a subtle pleasantness to being mindful. And I've been pointing to that quite often in the instructions. So energetically, mindfulness feels more refreshing and nourishing than when we're lost in thought, distracted, spaced out, disconnected. And strangely enough, even when what we're experiencing is unpleasant, that subtle pleasantness of mindfulness can still be there, as some of you have been reporting in the small group meetings. And that's partly because the mind that's aware is just aware. That part of the mind is not affected by what it experiences. And because mindfulness is a wholesome quality, it has can have that subtle pleasantness to it. So I encourage you to tune into that subtle pleasantness whenever you can, so that it acts as a positive reinforcement and the mind naturally wants to orient to mindfulness instead of distraction. So mindfulness is about remembering to be fully present with whatever we're experiencing in the moment, to know what we're doing as we're doing it, and to know that we know. And this is another significant aspect of mindfulness that's sometimes overlooked. It's what we call the clear comprehension aspect of mindfulness. So in the texts, the word sati is very often paired with another Pali term, sampajanyo, usually translated as clear comprehension. So the suttas talk about sati sampajanyo, mindfulness and clear comprehension. And this means being aware of the context of what we're doing so that our actions are appropriate. So the clear comprehension aspect of mindfulness brings in wisdom, brings in understanding. Is our experience beneficial or harmful? And do we need to take action to change it in some way? In perhaps some of the more mainstream approaches to mindfulness, this wisdom aspect is sometimes lost. And so we can hear mindfulness presented as just passively being with your experience, no matter what it is. So, for example, a few years ago I did a mindfulness training and the instructor kept saying, just be with it, whatever it is, just be with it, just be with it. If you're feeling sad, just know sad, 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 sad. Don't try to change it in any way. And this went on for weeks until eventually someone in the course almost exploded 
And they said, look, I've been anxious and depressed for years. I've been with that for long enough. And now I want to experience some relief. Which I think is fair enough. So what wasn't clear in that training is that while being present with our experience is a very important aspect of mindfulness, it needs to be supported by wisdom. Understanding whether what we're experiencing is beneficial or unbeneficial. So to bring it back to the framework of the Noble Eightfold Path, what makes right mindfulness, right or wise, is that it's supported by the other seven path factors, particularly wise view, wise intention and wise effort. So, as I've been emphasizing on this retreat, we need to be aware of when afflictive states are coming up, such as the five hindrances, and to know how to help them release. And at times that might include bringing in the reinforcements of the four Brahma-Vahara, so kindness, compassion, appreciative joy, equanimity, to help the heart and mind stay steady and present when challenging situations are coming up. Now because there are all these different nuances to mindfulness, different teachers, different traditions highlight different aspects of sati. And some of you here may have practiced with these different techniques and approaches and traditions and maybe at times felt confused by what can seem to be conflicting instructions but ultimately, all of them have the same purpose, to bring awareness to what we're doing so that we can see clearly and develop insight. So no matter what approach to mindfulness we're using, if it's helping us to stay present with our experience, to know it just as it is, then we're on the right track. And actually, we can use the wide range of approaches to mindfulness to our advantage, so we can learn how to apply the most appropriate style to whatever's happening in our practice in that moment. So for example, in some styles of insight meditation, mindfulness is presented as quite an active practice of knowing or noting every aspect of experience moment to moment. So this approach to mind mindfulness can almost feel like a computer game where you have to shoot down each object that comes into awareness like, got it, got it, got it, got it. So some of you might be familiar with the Burmese Mahasi tradition, which I mentioned the other night. And it uses continuous mental noting to stay connected with our experience in a very detailed way. And this can really help to refine the precision of our mindfulness, moment to moment. And at times it can feel like we're experiencing everything in ultra-high definition. But it can also be misunderstood as being about a sort of a pinhead focusing or even fixating on the object. At least that was how I misunderstood it early in my own practice. I would hear the mindfulness instructions and think I was supposed to narrowly focus, actually fixate on the minute details of every experience. And this built up so much tension in my mind that on one retreat I just had to stop meditating for a while because it was becoming too much. 
So at that point in my practice, I didn't understand how to be mindful of the mindfulness itself and how to change the approach according to what would help me stay balanced. So I hadn't learned how to pay attention to the attitude in the mind. So I was completely, although I was very focused on the breath, I was completely unaware of the aversion that was building up, the tightness, the contracting, the fixating. And so that's why I've been suggesting that you bring in those three questions about checking in with what's happening in the body, what's happening in the heart-mind, and then how am I relating to this experience to try to catch the attitude in the mind and hopefully to recognize any hindrances that might be just building there in the background. So if you do start to notice the mind getting tired or tight, that might be a signal to change to a more receptive mode of mindfulness for a while. So with this style of mindfulness, rather than going out after the objects, we just settle back, relax, and let them arise into awareness in a more passive way. So again, I just want to emphasize that the breath is not the only object we can pay attention to. It's very common to have a kind of hierarchy in our minds that the breath is at the pinnacle of the hierarchy and everything else is secondary to that. And while we can use the breath and the body as a kind of a home base to explore from, to come back to whenever we realize that we've got lost or scattered, once we have some degree of samadhi, steadiness of mind, we can open up and connect to whatever is predominant in our experience. So instead of immediately dragging the attention back to the breath, we can just open up to all six sense doors. So mindfulness is not so much a fixed, static state or quality that we're trying to get or achieve. Instead, it's more of a way of relating to our experience bringing this attitude of non-reactivity, or kind curiosity, as I like to say. So, emphasizing that warm interest towards our experience as an antidote to any tendency to it, for it to perhaps become distant or detached or clinical. So as you go about your practice today, you can start to be mindful of this quality of the mindfulness itself and to see how it's constantly changing. And part of the skill we're developing is to know which approach to mindfulness to apply when. So just as an analogy, we can think of mindfulness as being like the lens of a camera. And sometimes we're zoomed into the tiny details of our experience. And that's like the macro setting on a camera where we can become aware of an extraordinary level of minute detail that's quite fascinating. And this can happen quite naturally at times, but at other times if we're trying to sustain that intense precision, it can become tiring. And so then we might need to metaphorically open up the lens of the camera to take a more wide angle or panoramic approach. So with this way of practicing, we're taking in a broader field of awareness 
And because of its relative expansiveness, that can help the mind to relax. We're just settling back and receiving whatever experiences present themselves. And it doesn't feel as focused or concentrated as that more macro mode, but it is still mindfulness. It's just spread over a wider range of objects, more of the sense doors. So this can be very relaxing. The drawback is that at times it can slide from spaciousness into spaciness or just spacing out. So if we notice this happening, then we want to come back to a more focused approach, come back to just one anchor for the awareness, such as the breath or sounds. And then when the samadhi has got stronger again, we can open up to connecting with whatever is predominant. So this allowing the attention to move to whatever experience naturally calls it is known as choiceless attention. And I touched into that way of practicing at the very end of the guided meditation yesterday morning. So with choiceless attention, instead of directing our awareness to one particular aspect of experience, such as the breath, or physical sensations or sounds. Those are what we call the primary object or anchor of our awareness. With choiceless attention, we let go of that primary object. We don't direct the attention anywhere at all. We just receive whatever experience naturally calls it. And we stay with that experience until something else becomes predominant. So we just settle back and receiving the flow of experiences, knowing from moment to moment a sound, the breath, the physical sensation, another sound, some kind of thinking, an emotion, the breath, and so on. Whatever becomes predominant, we just know that. So coming back to the analogy of the surfer, this is like when the surfer has caught a wave and her attention is very refined and tuned in to all the details of her experience as they're changing. So awareness is naturally moving from the sensations of her body balancing on the board to the rush of air against her skin, the curl of the water at the tip of the wave, the sound of other surfers calling to each other. Her attention is continually moving, but she's not in any way distracted. When we're meditating, though, there will of course be times when we recognize that the spaciousness has become spacey, and so we can use mental noting to help us stay connected to the experience. This can be a powerful tool at first to help us stay present as the attention moves. But eventually, as we get skilled at it, the mind can stay present to the changing flow for longer and longer without getting lost. But this is a skill that we need to practice. So that's like what I'd like to practice together now. Thank you for your attention.